Hey folks, this is your host, Ryan Kennedy, and I am stoked for today's episode with someone in the natural health and nutrition space who I've looked up to for years named Abel James. I first came across this guy's podcast, The Fat Burning Man Show, probably around 2017, 2018, and just loved his approach to wellness. Really enjoyed his book, The Wild Diet, and it's a book I still recommend to people to this day, starting out on their nutrition journey. Uh, it's just a simple, effective, and you know, straightforward way to dial in your nutrition while while still enjoying what you eat, which is an important caveat a lot of these books miss and a lot of people's approach uh, doesn't nail, which makes it not all that sustainable. So a bit about Abel, he's a New York Times bestselling author, musician, and online creator. He's the host of the Top Health Podcast, and he helps people really optimize their performance, mindset, and longevity. So Abel, welcome to the show, man. Ryan, thanks for having me. Let's do this. What was the catalyst that got you into health and wellness? I've always been a, a health nut uh, to one degree or another. And my mom growing up uh, was also a holistic nurse practitioner and wrote some books about uh, herbal, basically ways to use uh, herbal medicine and natural medicine in clinical practice. And so that was a big part of her work. And I kind of grew up in this world in the middle of nowhere in New Hampshire where um, if if my brothers and I got sick, then mom would be running out to the woods or the field and getting all sorts of weird leaves and roots and tinctures and berries and all the rest of that, just covering us with bombs. And uh, so it was a wacky world back then and a little bit different than some of the people we grew up around. But also it wasn't that different because in the middle of nowhere, people still do that, or, or at least they did back then. But then, of course, I thought that I was... Uh, better than that after getting a big fancy education and getting big fancy health insurance and started following that train of thought and and my doctor told me to avoid dietary cholesterol and minimize fats and also keep keep doing that glycogen loading thing as part of my marathon training and keep running 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 and eating less but eating more carbs and kind of this confusing path uh made me fat and sick earlier than a lot of my friends around me who didn't care as much as as I did about health and training and that sort of thing. So I found myself suddenly in this very strange position in my early 20s where I was getting fatter and sicker than all my friends precisely because I did care more about health than they did. And so uh, once I kind of turned that around and realized to some degree what had happened, I, I was mad enough to start up my own blog and podcast and start writing about health from a very different perspective. And here we are more than a decade later and uh, still chugging along. <laughs> I love it, man. Yeah, it's certainly still a lot of mainstream conversations are happening around that whole concept of do more cardio, eat, eat less, move more, even though it's uh, simply failed to work uh, yeah. to any significant degree for, for our society as a whole. It's still being you know, propagated by, by mainstream media outlets. So uh, the work you do is more important now than ever. Uh, and I, I really want to talk today about some of your daily practices, you know, all the things you've learned through interviewing all these experts and immersing yourself in this stuff for over a decade. I want to really dissect some of the things you do really to perform, you know, kind of balance performance and longevity, help you feel your best, increase your vitality. And so I want to start with the morning. Uh, do you have any specific morning routines that you uh, do on a daily basis? Any specific habits that you've incorporated to start your day that you're like, dude, this is, this just works. It's it's the jam for me. And I, I really find it, it makes my whole day better. Definitely. And I was just watching your video about uh, your own morning routine. I think a lot of this will probably jive, but the way that I like to start the day is 
getting light on my skin and into my eyes as quickly as possible from the sun, not artificial light, ideally. Now, that's not possible for everyone. This is just more kind of like, ideally, what would you do if the weather cooperates, your life cooperates, and yeah. what have you? So you try to check these boxes as often as you can, but you don't have to be obsessive about it every single day. You have to do every single one of these things. But what I find helpful is, is, is that is very important, making sure that you're hydrating getting ahead of that instead of falling behind right away as as so many of us do and uh, i like as well going outside doing a little bit of walking usually with the dog and if i can having my feet make contact to the ground to ground and and engage in that early in the day uh do a little bit of qigong or tai chi or kind of yoga type movements just a few minutes just a few minutes to get things moving and not feel so constrained or uh, i find that when you get that that light sweat it doesn't have to be a workout or anything but just like you get moving and then you start lightly sweating that's almost enough of a threshold to pass to make you feel pretty great for the rest of the day or at least be a hedge against feeling like you're stagnating because if you don't if it's a rest day when all you're doing is not moving that feels way worse than having kind of a, a slightly active rest day if that makes sense mm -hmm. so getting that stuff all going and front loading your good behavior in the morning can be really effective to make sure that you don't slip up later on in the day and you don't notice the fact that you didn't meditate that morning or take a few minutes to work on your breathing until it's you, you know, 3 p.m. and you crashed out and then you like barked at your neighbor or you screwed up something at work or whatever it is. So really protecting your time in the morning and making it sacred to yourself, um, if you can, is a valuable, valuable thing to do. And let's see, what are some of the other things? I would say you, you need to put your shields up and practice a little bit of self-defense when it comes to your unconsciousness, because if you wake up and you check your phone, it's very easy to just jump into that reactive mode where mm -hmm. the day has run away from you. You're all of a sudden chasing all these random errands and your your life is chaos right away. And so none of us can avoid this all day. Eventually, we all fall for the chaos and get sucked into it. But if you can delay that just a little bit, if it's a few minutes, that's great. If it's a few hours, and then you can actually do some work before you've been interrupted that morning, especially creative work, spiritual work, uh, self-improvement of some kind, that's extremely valuable. So that's that's how I kind of get the day started for the most part. Typically, I'll do a 16-8 type fast, and so I'm not eating until later in the day. I, I do some nice work or practice around business, art, music, what have you in the morning, try to get that, um, get some of those boxes checked. And then as the day goes on, I, I think it's also important to sprinkle in little bits of activity, breathing, sun, sunshine, sunlight, uh, and also by the end of the day, turning down that artificial light, the external noises of any kind that could distract you. A lot of times this is all happening below our you know, operating level of consciousness. So subconsciously, if you're listening to traffic noise and sirens and all of these uh, voices outside the window or wherever you are, this becomes more and more distracting as the day goes on, especially in today's modern world, when anytime you walk, walk outside, people are on the internet. And even if you're trying to avoid 
the news. Someone's on their phone. They're going to shout out something weird that happened that day or another thing you can be outraged about. So once again, you kind of need this this self-defense. You need to put your shields up and get clear about what you want to do that day. And then when you kind of organize your intentions and deliver on them, importantly, later on the day, even if it's just you know, eating a quality meat that day and making sure that you shop for it and you do all those simple things. It doesn't have to be sexy. It doesn't have to be extravagant. But if you set up your intention and deliver on your promises, then follow that and, and ride that momentum for your other days, then, then health becomes something that snowballs over time instead of being this constant battle where you're like, what do I do today? I don't know. But the answer often is much, much simpler than most people think it is. Breath, light, all of these external inputs, but also turning off uh, the things that are overloading your nervous system and your consciousness with too much information, which tends to be most people's problem these mm -hmm. days. Yeah, I totally agree. And we tend to overcomplicate the process. Like you said, it's all the Definitely. fundamentals that really move the needle. And people yep. think they need to buy all these biohacking gadgets and gear just to you know, abide by these practices, but they're all provided to us for free by Mother Nature. And it's yes. the best way to get them. And so yep. whenever even red light, you know, it's like and I'm sure by virtue of what you do, you've tried all sorts of gadgets. And and I certainly have over the years, half dozen or maybe a dozen different red light PEMFs. And <laughs> there are so many different supplements and gizmos that we've tried over the years. Some of them are, are incredibly useful, but that's definitely the exception. And you hardly need any of them. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a time and place, like you said, to where you can incorporate a little of this better living through science. If you live on the East coast and you're like, Hey, Abel, this sounds great, dude, but you know, there's four feet of snow outside. I don't know if I'm going to go for a barefoot walk in the sun yeah. today. So yeah, maybe you do get a red light panel and you do get one of these grounding mats, but like, I don't even own these devices, even though I love buying health gadgets and, and all these, these, uh, these types of equipment. It's like, I live in San Diego. I get sun every day. I go yeah. barefoot beach walks. Like I, yep. I'm in an environment to where I don't really need them. And I'm able to really tap into all these benefits uh, without having to buy all this technology, which is, I think, the, the ideal scenario when your location is conducive to it. Um, Absolutely. And, and one of the things I, I've heard you talk about, and I really am a big proponent of this as well, uh, when it comes to training, is, is really these like small workouts, really doing yeah. things that are short and sweet, kind of keeping it intense, but not doing a ton of volume, not you know going back to what you said running marathons and having the, this thought in your head, like you got to do two hours of cardio every day. So what does your training regimen look like these days? Yeah, let's do the overview, I guess. I try to do one nice big run a week, which is, you know, five or 10 miles and I'll do sprints usually in that run. Some people will totally disagree with this and I've done it different ways over the years, but this is how I like doing it right now. Mm -hmm. So I have one of those and usually I'll also have like a, a, a less intense run that's, keeping me more in the, instead of burning through glycogen and really redlining on my workout, like I do for that big run, I'll have one that's more laid back. That's almost more like walking nice and slow, nice and easy. And what it's kind of doing as well, uh, in addition to just getting you moving and getting you outside, which I love, and it's really good for the mind. It helps clear out all that clutter and chaos, but it's also conditioning your body to make sure that you don't associate exercise and movement with pain all of the time, right? Because if people are going out and you're just like, well, it doesn't count as training unless I'm running for two hours, then all of a sudden your brain is going to stop you from working out when you don't feel like you're up to the effort of rocking it for two plus hours that day yeah. or whatever yeah. your big workout is. And so you do need to kind of have this 
this ability to move things around if you need to, because some days you feel better than others. Some days you, you're well slept and you're ready to do that big running workout with sprints. So that's that's one big workout that I do a week. Then my other big workout, uh, which are relatively small, I will say, compared to most other or most other people who kind of like work in health as a vocation. Uh, so when I say big workout, I mean almost lifting as much as you can or as many reps as you can, but not quite. For sprints, it's like I'm not doing 11 out of 10 in terms of intensity. It's more like eight or nine. I'm almost 40 years old now. And so mm-hmm. I'm not fooling anybody. <laughs> We're not going after the ultimate PRs every time. It's more about longevity and that sort of thing. So only a couple of like more legitimate, bigger workouts during the week. And the rest of it is just movement or maybe a little bit of strength uh, type training sprinkled throughout the rest of the week. And I try not to have more than one day in a row that's a rest day where I'm not really engaging in anything. But for many of the days, especially a busier day, it might just look like, you know, a 50 pound kettlebell swinging it 60 times twice. That's my whole workout for the whole day. Aside from, you know, walking the dog in the morning, trying to get outside and take breaks throughout, throughout the day. Also, another thing that can be really helpful, especially after wearing the continuous glucose monitor and looking at what's happening inside my body is anytime you're having a big meal, especially a carb heavy meal, trying to make sure that you have some level of activity around the time of that big meal is very important. Even if it's just a a short walk after you eat dinner or after you eat lunch, that can make a a difference uh, as far as your blood sugar is concerned to a degree that almost makes you look like a different person. If you're just looking at the data, you know, it's it's very fascinating because on the rest days, I can eat exactly the same food and have a fundamentally different response, almost as if, as if I'm in a different body compared to the days that I do that big run or that big strength workout. And meeting in the middle where you're doing some level of small activity, working on, you know, just pumping out 20 or 30 push-ups once or twice around mealtime or doing some air squats, something that might be a little bit more than walking, showing your body that it it is important to open up those muscles, let the glycogen in, uh, show your body that that food is not bad, <laughs> that working out is not bad, and it doesn't have to be a monstrous, monstrous expenditure of energy every time is really important. But that said, it's important to have those uh, bigger workouts sometimes to make sure that you do keep building your strength. Uh, your muscles don't, uh, you want to tell your muscles to stay there, even if you are fasting. So that's another important part of this, where, uh, if you go without food for a while or you're under eating for a while, it's still important to exercise to some degree and work on that strength. Cause otherwise your body will adapt by saying, well, you're carrying too much weight and a lot of that's muscle. We'll just let that go. And muscle is some of is basically your longevity organ. Yeah. If you you want to do everything you can to avoid losing too much muscle all at once. So that balance isn't always easy, but if you combine a lot of people like to separate nutrition from movement and exercise. And the longer that I've done this, the more I think that they really have to go hand in hand if you want to nail this. If you want to do pretty well, you can keep them separate and not really think about refueling your glycogens uh, on a regular basis. And if you don't want to work out that hard, there are ways to do it and just focus on the diet. But for most people, if you're doing this for longevity and you're doing this for the long haul, then you've got to have a handle on both. 
Yeah, I completely agree. And I, I always like this concept of like earn your carbs. Like if you're yeah. pretty sedentary and you're sitting at the office all day, you probably shouldn't have this big carb, you know, high carb meal. No. But if you've been doing deadlifts and you worked out and then you went for a walk after, it's like, yeah, you could have a pretty uh, generous portion of starches and it's not really going to be deleterious to your, to and, your health. And- in fact, it might help a lot because yeah. one of the mistakes I made when I was running marathons originally was underfueling. I would, mm. you know, go and run 25 or 30 miles for training or for a race. And then uh, I I would eat a little bit, but I, the times that I didn't eat enough, I would immediately get sick for the next three days. My immune system would just take a beating. And wearing the CGM over the past few years, I, I've had a few experiments where I did this and I'm like, I wonder how many carbs I actually can dispose of after a big run. I wonder how much my muscles and liver glycogen can really absorb and and, and reintegrate a lot, a lot of this stuff. And the answer is, even if I'm eating a bunch of toast, donuts, horribly unhealthy things for the most part, I can still get away with some of them, uh, kind of, or at least according <laughs> to the CGM data there, uh, I can get away with refueling with those carbs and will will feel a lot better but the clean carbs you definitely notice in terms of how you feel the next day and the next week or whatever so focusing on you know clean overnight oats or rice that's been heated and then cooled so it has resistant starch in it and other things like that that are more the clean burning carbs are definitely preferable uh to the super junky cheat day type stuff that a lot of people say is the answer and it's going to keep you happy for the most part that might help at the beginning but for a lot of people who want to stay at it the clean burning carbs in the right amounts based on your activity and used strategically can be really really useful and under fueling is a giant problem that a lot of people don't have on their radar including myself i've made a lot of mistakes in that direction because it's easy to think that if you're not eating then you're winning in some ways but if you're trying to combine that with serious training, serious strength, or serious miles, then it's not going to work. And underfueling is going to become a big problem. But then again, so it's overfueling. So yeah. it's it's definitely a moving target. Yeah, you got to find that sweet spot. Well, on the topic of of recovery and, and replenishing after some of these training sessions, one of the topics I'm always interested in is uh, HRV, heart rate variability. And I'm curious what you found in ways of ultimately improving, increasing your heart rate variability. Cause I know a lot of folks will tend to have lower HRV and for mm-hmm. people listening in, this is a metric that's measuring the space between your heartbeats. And in generally speaking, uh, a higher number, a higher spacing is generally a good sign that you're recovering. Well, your nervous system isn't all stressed out. Your body's not, you know, under a ton of stress and having a lower number is typically the opposite. You typically is not, not a good thing. And so I'm curious to hear your perspective, Abel, on you know what you've learned here and in different practices you've implemented to improve HRV. Once you start measuring it, you can tell what alcohol does to your st- oh, yeah. system. Oh, you yeah. can tell what sugar does to your system. And it's actually pretty similar. <laughs> the difference would be is when you come back from a, a big run or a big expenditure of energy, then refueling your glycogen with alcohol is not a good <laughs> idea. Although I will say that um, near beers or... Uh, beer that doesn't have alcohol alcohol in it can be an interesting way to refuel glycogen that I've tried more than a few times. But uh, those sorts of carbs are not the same as the real alcohol carbs and the super high glycemic sugary 
carbs. So you can, when you start measuring your, your HRV and, or even just your overall heart rate, the average the next day, for example, what happens to me is if I drink more than a couple of glasses of wine, then there's a noticeable increase in the average heart rate for the following day. It might be as much as four or five beats. Or if I really tie one on, then it's more like 10 beats higher than it should be on average, which is bad. That's, mm-hmm. that's bad. So when you measure some of these things and you color outside the lines and you miss that night of sleep, for example, or you have a crappy sleep, all of a sudden your heart rate variability is trash. Your heart rate might be up the next day. And if you do that blind and you're not really paying attention to that, then you'll notice during your your workout, you're not going to be able to get through all the sets that you usually do. You're going to be gassed out by the end, or you're not going to be able to get the per mile time that you were aiming for. Even one or two glasses of wine can do this to you. But when you start looking at the HRV and the heart rate in particular, uh, as well, that's when you really notice the lifestyle factors more than anything else. I think the continuous glucose monitoring can also be really helpful for showing you that it's not just the food that's coming in that's affecting your hunger, your blood sugar and recovery and all the rest of that. It's your lifestyle. It's your stress. And if you have that fight or flight type reaction to an email or a text message, it's going to spike your blood sugar and then it's going to crash and you're going to be chasing that roller coaster of hunger and low energy for the rest of the day because once that crash happens it's very very difficult to recover and one of the ways that you can use heart rate variability as well is like i was saying before some days you've had a a good amount of sleep you're well recovered and you're ready to rock a monster workout and get some some gains in other days not so much and i like to do um, my strength-based workout on Monday or Wednesday. For a while, it was like every Monday. But every once in a while, you're not going to be up for it on that Monday. And instead of trying to push through every single time, it's good to check in with yourself, take a look at your data if you can, and be like, well, what is my heart up to? Mm-hmm. Am, am I actually ready to do this giant workout today? Or am I not? And being honest about it allows you to shift things around a little bit, which I think is super important because... The big expenditure of energy and the big workout isn't really worth anything unless you get the recovery afterwards. So being able to schedule that in, not just to your day, but into your week is really important. And so missing a workout one day in a row can be very advantageous and really good for your recovery sometimes, but try not to miss two in a row is kind of my my deal. Or if you take, you know, for example... The Monday, you were going to do your big strength session that day, but you're not up for it. Then just slot it to the Tuesday or the Wednesday. Do your little kettlebell swings or just a nice long walk on that Monday. Get some prioritized sleep that night. Don't drink. And then when you wake up the following day, you're ready to go. But there are lots of lots of things you can learn about your own individual body as well by looking at your heart. There's... <laughs> It becomes harder to run away from your bad decisions when you can look at the data and be like, oh, yeah, that's you got me there. My <laughs> my heart rate variability is totally smacked right now. What did I do? How can I make it better? How can I make sure this doesn't happen next time? Or just being honest with yourself and saying like, hey, I'm going to have a lot of fun this weekend. I'm going to go out with my buddies and my big workout is not going to be on Monday this following week. It's going to be on Wednesday. And if you make that decision, you enjoy your fun 
then you follow up with some solid rest, you can have your cake and eat it too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. These devices like the the O ring and the whoop, they really do provide you with that awareness, which I think is missing for a lot of people. Just kind of yeah. one identifying like what these things are actually doing to your body and quantifying it. So you can see the data because it really does help you stick to healthier habits when you know, like there is a cost and most people yeah. understand that like, well, I know alcohol is not good for me, but when you see, Oh my gosh, my sleep was trash. My, my heart rate was up. My core temp was increased. My HRV was in the tank. Mm -hmm. uh, it starts to switch something in your brain where you are really a lot more intentional about these choices. And then it also like to your point helps you to guide your decisions on what you're gonna do for training that day. Maybe instead of crushing a, a CrossFit workout, you go for a walk outside in the sunshine or do some yoga or do something that's a little more mellow and, and lower intensity because you know, like, well, I didn't sleep very well last night and my body's not in the best position to go try and PR in the gym. Let me, uh, let me pump the brakes a little bit and, and take it easy. So I think those are some of the key benefits you can get with some of these tracking devices. There are surprises too. Like sometimes you, you wake up and you're like, yeah, I think I, I slept pretty well. Uh, so it's not always a conscious thing where, where you can be aware intuitively of exactly where your heart rate variability is at or, or mm -hmm. how well you slept the night before. Usually intuitively we're about right, but I've also been surprised sometimes where I'm like, oh, my body temperature is a little rough today. It's it's elevated. I, If I go too hard or too far in this workout today, I might get sick. And I, I've experienced that as well, where you can kind of see the illness coming or like a slight cold um, and if you push through too hard or you don't deliver on that next night of sleep, then you'll probably get sick for the next few days. But if you do clean things up right then before it becomes a major problem, then the temperature comes back down and you, you avoid getting sick. So that can be very, very useful for adjusting your own behavior, too. Even if intuitively you feel OK, sometimes the data tells you what's going on in your body before you even realize it. Yeah, yeah, 100 percent. I'm curious, um, on the topic of nootropics, just to completely switch gears, uh, do you use any nootropics, you know, and during your workday, are there any that are particular favorites of yours? I've tried most of them over the years, the racetam family, the, uh, it, you know, alpha brain neurohacker. Let's see. There are a lot of, uh, CBD and, uh, medicinal mushroom base different nootropic formulations that I've tried recently. And many of them can be somewhat helpful, but it's not one of those things where I have uh, made it a part of every single day. It's more, it's more about managing stress, I think, than it is about taking your, the level of consciousness or cognition up to some superhuman level. It, it's less about that and more about <laughs> addressing the fact that we're all running a little bit ragged, especially spending so much time on computers and that sort of thing. And when you take the non-pharmaceutical versions of adaptogenic mushrooms or CBD, hemp, uh, those things are more supportive, I find. Even, you know, Alpha Brain, I didn't, I didn't find that that did much for me back in the day. I haven't tried it in a few years. And a few of the others, like the Racetams, maybe it does do something, but I'm not sure if that thing is good or not. <laughs> I've, uh, you know, aside from being a mild upper or something that's going to act in your body kind of like caffeine, I don't find that many of them are 
nourishing the brain or the nervous system, if that makes sense. It's, it's one of those deals where I think it's better for longevity to focus on trying to take your, your body back to normal for you and get to that level of cognition where most days are similar than trying to kind of overcompensate with extra amounts of energy, which is, I'm using air quotes because that's not exactly energy. It's more like a stimulant and taking yeah. stimulants. Do they make you smarter? Like this, drinking caffeine before my interviews, which I definitely do. I mean, if you include that, if drinking coffee or, or a little bit of tea or something, if you include that as a performance enhancer, then I'm a big fan of performance <laughs> enhancers because I love coffee, especially on days where I need to perform, play music, write music, do interviews all day, etc. So I think before people get too carried away with pharmaceuticals, with foreign substances, with with novel substances or newfangled substances, it's really important to make sure that you're checking the boxes of what is actually nourishing my body and supporting it back up to that level of healthy normal that we all would be at in a more natural world. And so the way to go about that, I've found that really helps are the more nutrient-based uh, options, kind of like hemp, CBD, medicinal mushrooms, a few things other compounds, L-theanine, GABA, a few others can be helpful, but also not as useful as all of the marketing hype would make them out to be. And a lot of people yeah. kind of say that this is the answer and I'm smarter than you because I'm on all of these drugs or non-drugs and I'm taking them uh, illicitly or not. And it's kind of this weird world where all of a sudden people find themselves reading about steroids and peptides and all of these novel substances and thinking that all of those are the answer too. And maybe they are, but you could certainly get carried away by trying to make that movie Limitless come mm -hmm. true with Bradley mm -hmm. Cooper, you know? And, and that's, in my experience, it's not one of these things where you take a pill and you instantly become smarter. What actually makes you smarter, I think, is controlling your line of questioning, reading books, playing and doing other things that challenge your body and your mind to constantly adapt and become better. But usually that's not exogenous. Yeah. Well said. I completely agree. I think the best, the best ways to enhance brain function is to, you know, do the, do the fundamentals, get some sunshine, yeah. move your body, exercise, meditate, uh, incorporate these daily practices, hit the sauna and jump in the cold plunge. Like these mm -hmm. things are going to provide you with a natural boost that almost mimic what you'd find in these, you know, capsules or, you know, in these different supplements, but it, they're not going to come with any type of negative cost. In fact, there's just mm -hmm. a ton of other positive benefits you get from them. Um, and I've tinkered with a lot of these things too. And I see the benefit of using some as a tool, as like a way yeah. to enhance performance from time to time, um, but not as a crutch, you know, not as a daily exactly. staple. And, and also exactly. uh, they tend to work a lot better when you're well-rested and you're taking good care of yourself right. and you're eating well. Like they, they, it's hard to overcome a deficit when you're just not doing the basics and then trying to supplement your way out of a shitty lifestyle and a shitty diet. Yeah. I mean, they work best when you don't need them. It's kind yeah. of the bizarre thing about it. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's the truth. That's the truth. Well, one, one more question I have for you, Abel, in closing. Uh, so you've interviewed a ton of people on your, on your podcast, a lot of very knowledgeable, bright, bright minds in the, in the health and wellness space and personal development. And if you were to distill down you know, two or three of the of the top learnings you gathered that you feel are the most important things for people to focus on. What well, what would they be? Elimination, not not in terms of pooping or whatever, but <laughs> getting 
the extraneous clutter out of your mind and out of your habits. Mm -hmm. It's less about finding that new thing that's going to change your life and more about going back to those principles like you were talking about before that have always kind of been true. They were true for our grandparents' generation. They're true for us, but they're too simple for people to ever want to do, like hydrating, <laughs> getting sunshine, going for a walk on the beach, boring. Why would I ever do? I know that I should exercise, so why would I ever do that? Yeah. I, I know that I should, so why would I? It's this getting beyond that strange like lack of motivation or just resistance in your own mind and body is the battle that all of us fight from the people who are writing the books and having the podcasts and living this healthy lifestyle or whatever. We all struggle with the same things as you out there. And, you know, Michael Jordan was terrible at basketball when he started. A lot of people, when they get into this, are not sure about what to do and not getting great results. But the longer that you stick with it and the more that you simplify your approach, the better off you're going to be. So if you, even after interviewing, you know, say 500 people from my podcast over the last 10 years and somewhere around there, there are so many different ways to go about this. And it looks different from the outside, from the outside in, but what these people are actually doing in their day-to-day -day life, their daily practices are fantastically similar, whether they're eating nothing but potatoes for a month or eating nothing but bacon for a month, it doesn't matter. The things that are usually working for them are what they're not eating, <laughs> mm -hmm. what they're not engaging in in terms of, you know, I, I really focus a lot on the nervous system these days because if you don't have your nervous system and, and your brain operating well, and you don't have that motivation, then it's very hard to deliver on your own promises to do that simple work each day. But the things that you mentioned in your morning routine and I mentioned in mine and, and the daily workout programming and et cetera, pretty much anyone who has been living in the world of health and working in the world of health is doing almost exactly the same type of thing on a daily basis. They're showing up for their workouts. They're delivering on their promises. They're eating the right vegetables at the right times and not too much of the wrong stuff. And they're also focusing on, for the most part, eating real food and staying away from processed nonsense. Even if they have something to sell, <laughs> sometimes people uh, have something to sell that doesn't even jive with what they're doing on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, Hopefully that's the exception, but there is that out there. And so I would I would encourage people who are especially new to this to take everything with a little grain of salt and know that some people are selling more than they're living <laughs> and the things that are working for them aren't necessarily working because of what they're selling, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. It's working because of the simple fundamentals that they know to do. And then it's a nice little cherry on top to have that supplement or that workout or that gizmo or that specific thing that they say is responsible for all, all their results. But typically speaking, all of these people who are succeeding in the world of health are succeeding for the same reasons, not different ones. It's true, man. Less is more. Got to keep it yeah. simple. Love Especially it. Well, these days. Yeah, 100%. Uh, where can people go to find more about your work and what you're up to these days, Abel? Best place to find me is fatburningman.com. And if you like podcasts, just look up Fat Burning Man or Abel James, and I should pop right up. Awesome, man. Well, thanks for taking the time. It's great chatting with you. Thank you. I really appreciate your questions. And, and this has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. If you found it helpful, please share it along to anyone else you believe it can serve. 
You can submit your own question to be answered on the show by going to ryankennedyhealth.com forward slash podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review for the show. Your feedback helps to support me on my mission to positively impact as many people as possible with this information. Please note the information depicted in this episode is purely for informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional before making any changes to your lifestyle or routine.